the book of Revelation, interestingly, uh, I don't know whether you've ever heard of the chap or not, but Thomas Cranmer, who wrote the book of Common Prayer in 1549, uh, he, along with, I think it's true to say, Luther, when they drew up a Bible reading program called a lectionary for the church to read right through the scriptures, he left out the book of Revelation, right? Because he thought people couldn't understand it. So there were very few readings from the book of Revelation. Big mistake. Even the reformers made big mistakes. Luther thought that James was an epistle of straw. He didn't like James at all because he thought it undermined justification by grace alone through faith alone. So all of us have our bits of the Bible that we kind of uh, avoid, uh, that we don't preach on, uh, that we don't read. And the book of Revelation uh, in Anglicanism was one for many years that wasn't read nearly enough. But it is hard to understand. So I want to read through chapter 2, and I've got a whole load of notes because I could preach on chapter 2 of Revelation for about a week, let alone three quarters of an hour, whatever it is. Uh, I want to read through it, and I want to see where we get. And I'm not quite sure how far we're going to get. But what I'd like to do is give you a kind of shape uh, by which to understand the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and you can apply that shape more next week if you wish to do so. But we must read the Word of God publicly. That's really important. Uh, in Timothy, give attention to the public reading of the Word of God in and of itself, because this is what has the power. I'm using the ESV. I don't know whether you have any particular preferred version here, but I happen to be using the English Standard Version. So here's Revelation 2, beginning at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who is the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you do not, did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give <coughs> some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flames of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as, with, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star, he who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear 
what you say to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. The seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we've had four of them today, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. Whoops. The seven churches are done like that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But in my ESV study Bible, and I recommend that everybody gets an English Standard Version study Bible, because it is the only one, the only study Bible that I know that will actually answer the questions you're asking. You know, you sometimes get these study Bibles and you, you're of all sorts of questions and they don't even begin to give you any clues as to what the answers are. So the ESV, the English Standard Version Study Bible, and I was given this uh, beautiful one uh, by Bishop Wally Ben, who was involved in the doing, uh, getting it together. It's leather bound, so it makes me look terribly, terribly sound because it's <laughs> very big and very black and very leather bound. Uh, so I have this beautiful version of it, but you can buy versions of it. Uh, you need to be careful. Some of them have smaller print than others if your eyesight is not very good, so just be careful to get the right one. But do get yourselves an ESV study Bible. And you know, I'm going to suggest something else to you. Bring your Bibles to church! <laughs> right? Because how are you going to understand the book of Revelation unless you have it in front of you? You're not. You're not going to begin to bring your Bibles. Get your ESV study Bibles, 200 of them, and bring them all to church. All big, black, thick leather ones. And then you'll just look like what people expect people to look like and in and around, poured it down and lurgan, subsidized by the diocese. Yeah, a penny for each one. And you'll all just look like what people expect Christians to look like and pour you down when they go to church. Isn't that right? Okay, so not, not really, but seriously, do get one. They're very good. So the ESV Study Bible looks at the seven churches in a different way. It looks at them across the way, right? Stripped, as it were, across the way. In other words, what are the shape of these seven letters, because most of them are pretty, well, they're all similar. Most of them are exactly the same in their shape. And I want you to know the shape, even though I will only get part of the way through it probably this morning. I want you to know what the shape is. It's almost like you were on Bake Off and they asked you to do uh, a layer cake for the seven churches. So you could have a challenge as to what a layer cake, some of you women who can make those scones, maybe you buy them in though, do you? Yeah, yeah, could make, some of the men could make these wonderful layer cakes of the seven churches, and then I'd like to see what you come up with. So here we go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the shape of the letters, and they'll come up, I think, on the screen. First of all, the letter tells us something about the church the particular church. So it is the church in Ephesus, the church in Pergamum, and so forth, right? Secondly, it tells us about the Lord of the church. Who the Lord of the church is, not 
just in the sense that the Lord of the church is Jesus. We all know Jesus Christ is Lord. But what aspect of his lordship needs to be spoken into that church, experienced by that church at this particular time? Thirdly, it tells us what the Lord commends about his church. And in five out of the seven letters, he has something to commend. In two of the letters, he has nothing whatever to commend in those particular churches. Then it tells us what the Lord rebukes in that particular church. And in two greatly blessed churches, he has nothing to rebuke whatsoever. And if you had your English Standard Version of the the Bible here with the, uh, the notes, as it were, it would tell you that the two churches which are not commended in any way are coming next week, so you can deal with those, Craig. They are Sardis and Laodicea, and the two churches which are not rebuked in any way are Smyrna and one of the ones coming next week, Philadelphia. And then it tells us, fifthly, What is the solution to the particular situation that the church finds itself in? Then it tells you, sixthly, the consequences of disobedience. And seventhly, the promise to those who conquer. And the promise to those who conquer always has that sense, but to those who conquer, right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches and to those who conquer, this will be the result, which is largely, because we won't get that far, the, the, the picture of the new heaven and the new earth as it relates to that particular church. So that is the shape of the seven letters. And I'm going to go through that shape a little bit, but not totally probably this morning because I incline, like most preachers, to get stuck on the first parts of the passage, you know. And then people begin to lose the will to live and they think if he spent 20 minutes in point one, are we going to be here all afternoon kind of thing. You don't have any preachers like that around here, do you? Okay. So I I intentionally am going to focus on the first parts, actually, uh, because I think they maybe speak into you, and I think you are intelligent enough, convinced enough about the authority of the Scriptures, determined enough to understand the Scriptures, to go and get yourselves an ESV study Bible (laughs) and do the rest of the work for yourselves. I I don't get any shares in them whatsoever, but you can get them from, uh, what do you call it, Richard? Richard Ryan's, oh yeah, you get them cheaper in ICM. That's right. Okay, well, I didn't say that. Right. So here we go. Every one of these church, these letters begins with these words. To the angel, to the angel of the church in X, Y, or Z, right? Right. And then you get the words that the risen Lord is speaking incisively into that church. To the angel. Well, now I'm fascinated because uh, Craig has been here a year. Have you discovered him to be an angel yet? Yes, amen. Right, amen. (laughs) 
Now, I know that Becky's an angel, but I don't think of Craig as necessarily an angel. Uh, But I have to tell you that one of the places that I heard this preached on was the only occasion ever, so don't send this out, please, the only occasion ever, don't mind, in which I worshipped in Martyrs Memorial Free Presbyterian Church. And the Reverend N. R. K. Paisley was on this subject of angels, these angels in the seven letters to the seven churches. And he declared that the angel was the minister in the church. <laughs> right now, I never thought of him as an angel either, actually, when I think about The angel was, and this was to do with one-man ministry. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's the case. Uh, Some nicer Anglican commentators say it might have been the minister or it might even be the bishop. (laughs) I think that's less likely myself. (laughs) But do you know what the word angel means? It means messenger, right? Right? And uh, when you say at the Lord's Supper, every time we eat this bread and we drink this wine, we proclaim the word in Greek is cat angelo, an angelo's angel. Right? We proclaim. The angel is the person who proclaims, who makes the word of God real into that particular situation. Isn't that what every blooming angel is? Apart from guardian angels, I suppose. In the Bible, when angels come into the situation, they bring a word from God. They link heaven and earth in such a way that the word of God is proclaimed into the situation so that people understand what God is doing. Now, although I have joked about Craig being the angel, uh, you are to be an angel, a proclaimer of the word of God into this particular context, into this particular situation of Hope Community Church in Craigavon, week by week, in such a way that people will hear the Word of God, receive the Word of God, be energized by the Word of God, sometimes challenged and confronted by the Word of God, and may understand the whole sweep of eternity in the light of the Word of God, because there is no other way by which we can understand it. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity just to applaud your angel now. (laughs) Please, give him a big... (laughs) To the angel of the church in X, Y, and Z. Now, the second thing I want to say is this. When you get the number seven... In the Bible, it means the totality or the completeness. When you get the number 12, it's something the same. Right? There were 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel. When you get the number 144,000, that is 12 by 12 multiplied by 1,000. And that means the completeness of the completeness. I say all that to you for this reason that we really need to understand what church is. And church in the New Testament, that, that word is not used that much in the New Testament, but it is used, obviously, 
The word church itself means the called out ones. Right? And Jesus is speaking through his servant John here on the Isle of Patmos to seven churches in modern-day Turkey, and some of you may even have been to some of the places of some of these seven churches in modern-day Turkey in what was called Asia Minor in those days. And that seven means that this is Jesus speaking to the completeness of the church. Now, like with everything else in Revelation, different people have different views of how it all works. And some people say, well, the first one is the first part of church history, the second one is the second, and then we all wonder how far we've got to and how far we've got to go before the Lord comes again. I don't actually think that that's what it's about. Because it's speaking into the completeness of the church, but it's using a particular geographical situation to, to, to image this, as it were. And it's using a particular time in the history of the church when there was tremendous persecution. Fierce persecution by people like Nero and Diocletian, Roman emperors. It was not the thing to be part of the church. And you can see that as the church is described in its completeness, that it's described from a starting point in history and a starting point in geography, even though it applies to the whole church, maybe more firmly at some times than at others in different letters. The Bible only knows two understandings of church. I'm up to be corrected at the end. When you say that kind of thing, uh, you always have to be up to be corrected if you're a preacher. The Bible only knows two understandings of church. Understanding number one is the entirety of every single believer in every age and every generation throughout history, the past, the present, and the future, in earth and in heaven. That is the totality. That is the 144,000 of the redeemed of God. That is the completeness of who the church is. And that is the, the most real understanding of church. I remember once I was in uh, London and I was at a place run by the church army in a place called Eccleston Square and there was a rather unusual chap who was there. You should call them chaps if you're in England, don't you? A rather unusual chap and I didn't really want to get into a conversation with him. And he was wearing a big badge. I noticed you're, this man's uh, got a tattoo saying hope and it was the, the way in which the Lord brought you here and helped you to know this was the right place. Well, this fella, don't, don't put this on as a tattoo, please, what he had on his badge, because it's the kind of thing you'd want removed in a week if you'd any understanding of the Bible, right? The, the badge said this, I am part of the invisible church. Why would anybody wear that? And he came up and said hello to me. And I said, I'm fascinated by your badge. I said, I'm particularly fascinated because I can see you quite clearly. 
can't remember where it went after that. I just remember that bit. But I want to tell you that there is the absolute completeness of the church that we will never see and know until the salvation of Christ is complete in the new heaven and the new earth and we're gathered around the throne of God with the multitude that no one can number. And that is, in a sense, the most real and true understanding of the church. But the second understanding of the church is this that it is seen in particular places at particular times in history with particular people that sometimes are very messed up in their lives according to these letters, right? Sometimes get their theology wrong, sometimes live their lives wrong, yes? Uh, That the, the church is seen in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and the other three places as well. So it says to the church in Ephesus. We call ourselves the Church of Ireland. I'm not sure that that's the right way to put it. I think in biblical terms it's not the Church of, it's the Church in. We are the Church of Jesus Christ. In a particular place, in this particular context, here in the middle of Craig Avon, right? At a particular time, 2018, with a particular group of people whom God has called out to be here. And not just called out to be here, but called out to be a blessing to the people in this community. So that, for example... Ephesus was the great city in Asia Minor. It was the city in which there was a particular goddess honored who was called Diana or Artemis of the Ephesians. And everything was centered around Diana of the Ephesians. And they had to learn what it was to live and work and witness in the Ephesus of their day with persecution where the silversmiths were afraid that if the Christians got a run, Diana would be booted out and they would have no trade left and no tourists coming. Right. Or if you take Smyrna. Smyrna was a place with a center of trade. It was a very big harbor. It wanted to be the first city of Asia Minor, but wasn't quite. It was the second city. It had been destroyed and rebuilt, and it was one of the most beautiful and cultured of places. Well, that is like Craig Avon, isn't it? (laughs) One of the most cultured of places. And the people in Smyrna had to learn what it was like to live and to witness in that particular context at that particular time. Our Pergamum was built on a hill, impressive, with a great library, a place of great learning, and a center of administration for the region. Or Thyatira was just a small, relatively unimportant town, but it had got one thing that was important. I'm really testing your knowledge of the Bible here. Lydia came from Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple cloth. cloth. It had got this very classy purple cloth. 
Anybody else like Joanna Lumley? I just am totally infatuated by Joanna. <laughs> I have to tell you. I mean, I know she's an older woman and all that, but <clears throat> I am totally taking anything Joanna Lumley does. It doesn't really matter where she is. Uh, it's, it, she is just so able to describe it and so able to bring you into the situation that you just want. Have, have you been watching her on the Silk Road talking about purple, sellers of purple and really valuable material? Now, so the question is, what is your context? So if the risen Lord was writing to the church in Craigavon, Right. What might he want to say? What would he consider was your particular context? Because whether you like it or not, churches live in areas. Now, I know that there are churches that are stripped according to uh, across generations and gather young adults together or gather policemen together or whatever it may be, you know. But generally speaking, in the New Testament, churches are in areas and usually in cities. In fact, would I be wrong to say, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is Galatia the only one that's not a city? So that the Roman Catholic Church, I said this to a Roman Catholic bishop, and he didn't even know this, but maybe I was wrong. The Roman Catholic Church in Belfast has the Diocese of Down and Connor because they won't divide the city. And there's something good about that instinct. Whereas the Church of Ireland is half of Port of Downs and down half St. Armagh, half of Belfast and down half St. Connor, and the rivers divide places no matter where the cities are. But the biblical thing is the churches generally uh, in the places where people are and runs with the places where people are. I would imagine uh, that for some Christians it wasn't easy to be called the church in Ephesus because Ephesus had such a bad name for false religion. Right. But it was the church in Ephesus. I don't know whether any of you were listening to Sunday Sequence this morning and it was really about how we learn to be church in a new context in a context it was talking about politicians who are Christians and politicians and how you begin to do it. And all of us, let's be honest, are learning to be church in a new world. Even in Northern Ireland, even in Holy Ulster, we are in a new world where the institution is no longer of much interest to people, really. right? It's there, but we have to prove that we're of value. Right, where the values that we would have had, especially in the red button, moral issues are being questioned around every corner, where people want to say, yes, I like spirituality, but I don't like all this stuff about Jesus, uh, you know, and we thought they loved Jesus, but they, you know, were attracted to Jesus, but no, nowadays it's more kind of vague spirituality. So how we live and how we proclaim and how we work in our generation and in our particular context is what this is all about, right? These letters to the seven churches. To the angel of the church in A, B, and C, right? Now, 
The second bit is this. <clears throat> it goes on to declare the words of the Lord into the situation in that particular church. I've got a Fitbit, so I have to press it to see what time it is. Right, okay, we'll do, it. We'll do this bit at least. It goes on to address the words of the, the risen, exalted, reigning Lord into this particular context and this particular situation. Sometimes churches grow out of a situation where a particular experience of Christ has influenced them. I mean, you call yourselves hope. The God of hope. There's something, in other words, you could have called yourself peace, right, or mercy, or anything else, but you called yourselves hope. And there are particular places that are called at particular times to live out some aspect of the reality of the risen Lord. Uh, Bishop Alexander, whose uh, wife, Cecil Francis Alexander, wrote, There is a green hill far away, and all things bright and beautiful, and once in Royal David City. Uh, <clears throat> Bishop Alexander of Derry used to say that any new church could only be called one thing. That was Christ's church, because it was Christ's church. It wouldn't be saint this and saint that and saint the other, right? Uh, but in actual fact, most of our churches are called by something that gives an angle on it. Uh, there's a church in Monkstown I was with someone from called the Church of the Good Shepherd. I don't know whether there was something in their history or whatever that meant that the Good Shepherd was an important model and image of church for them. There are churches, two churches nearby here, that are called St. Saviors. And I've tried to persuade both of them to change their name. Because there's no saint called Saint Saviour. It just means Holy Saviour. The Church of the Saviour who want to proclaim the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now the question is, how does the risen Lord speak into these different situations? Well, here we go and then we'll finish. In Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. <clears throat> and I imagine that one of the things that's being said there is what Craig said at the beginning when you looked at chapter 1. This is the Lord who holds his angels in his hands. This is the Lord who makes himself present among his churches. Who are the lampstands? It's also the Lord, actually, who, when you go towards the end, I was going to go through it all, but I haven't time, uh, say, says as part of his judgment, if you do not repent, if you do not remember what I wanted you to be, if you do not change and follow in my direction, what will he do? Take away the lampstand. One of the saddest things for a bishop is to see lampstands that are taken away. 
Now, sometimes, to be fair, there are churches that simply there are too many. Now, St. Patrick planted a lot round down Patrick, and uh, either we don't need them now because the population is not there. But sometimes you see churches that are simply in decline because they will not change. They will not hear the word of God. They fall into a degree of nominalism, and they simply drift away. I'll give you an example of one that I track. It's in Montreal, because when you go to Albany, you can go through Montreal, and that's our linked diocese. The first time I noticed it, its name is St. James's United Church. The first time I noticed it, its doors were open, and it looked very grand. And I went into it, and it was clearly a society Methodist church at one time, a big, where the, the, the great and the good went, a big preaching house with an enormous pulpit, polished wood all around, and I was looking at it, and then I noticed a hole in the ceiling. And then coming out, I noticed a sign, and it said this, Rummage sale in hall downstairs to fix hole in ceiling. Well, I'm going to tell you, whenever you get to the point of a rummage sale to fix a hole in a ceiling, you're gone. You're gone. The next time I passed it, there was yellow ticker tape outside, and I said, Let's oh, look, I was going to go in and look there again. But it said, danger, don't enter. And the next time I passed it, there was a sign up outside saying that the Department of Culture had totally renovated it for concerts and things like that. And I think there's a little service somewhere very small on a Sunday morning. I must try to go sometime. Now, I don't know whether I'm being unfair to that church because I've never been to it, but I've tracked it. And it doesn't matter how big society churches have been. doesn't matter whether they're rural churches right up to cathedrals. Right. If people do not follow the presence of the living and risen Christ and listen to what he's speaking into the church to bless the church, to correct the church, to make it a present, the presence, the lampstand can be taken away. And this Christ who walks among the lampstands walks among the church in Ephesus for their blessing, perhaps so that they know he's not missing anything. And sometimes for judgment as well. The second one, Smyrna. The words of the first and last, Alpha and Omega, who died and came to life. This is the risen Lord who will always be there, who has always been there. He has always been King of kings and Lord of lords, even though we have only seen it now. He was involved in creation itself, and he will be there at the very end of time, right? That gives a stability, doesn't it, to know that that's the Lord of the church, and also that he can bring life out of death. The other side about dying churches is sometimes the ones who die most quickly also are revived 
Because people come to the end of themselves and they reach out to him. I'm going to tell you about another wee church. St. Christopher's in Mersey Street. Anybody know it? Uh, Near the Glen Torren football ground. Right? Yeah. East Belfast. Yeah. And I had to what's called deconsecrate it. That meant that it wouldn't be a church anymore. It had got very small, couldn't manage, and there was another one nearby. So I deconsecrated St. Christopher's Church in Mersey Street. And after a period of time, a group called Boring Wells asked if they could move in, start a food bank, start a larder, start small initiatives for micro-enterprises in that very uh, poor kind of area, uh, start messy church, this, that, and the other thing. And the, the rector of the new parish said, yes. And when we had our year of 24-7 prayer in the diocese, I don't know whether you remember that or not, it's a few years ago, when we had our year of 24-7 prayer, I went down to St. Patrick's Ballamacarrot, which is the church it's under now. <clears throat> and I said to Liz, I'm going down for a couple of hours because they have taken on a week of this and they haven't many people. And I just want to go down for a couple of hours and pray in the wee prayer room in St. Patrick's. And I went into the room, and have you been to 24-7 prayer? Yes. You know what it's like? It can be very quiet. And there are little stations around the room with maps and things to pray for and ways to do it. And there were two very quiet ladies in the room. And for an hour, I was in total silence, simply praying to the Lord around these little stations. Six o'clock... The two ladies left and two men came in and they thought they were at a prayer meeting. I thought, okay, that's great, we'll run with this. And I will never forget the prayer of one of these men. Do you know what he said? Lord, he said, you know how annoyed I was when St. Christopher's closed because I got saved in St. Christopher's. But Lord, he said, I have to admit to you that there are more of my friends going to St. Christopher's now that it's closed than ever went when it was open. (laughs) The Lord can bring amazing life out of death. He can do things sometimes when a church dies by resurrection that he could never do when it was only just breathing. Right, So never be too worried when that happens. Smyrna, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Pergamum, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now the sharp two-edged sword is a sword of judgment. It's a sword of incisiveness. It's a sword that reaches right to the depths of what is actually going on. So the risen Lord can come, the Lord of the church can come in a way that is showing his presence. He can come in a way that's bringing life. He can come in a way that reminds us of the stability of his reality from the beginning to the end of time. He can come in a way that brings incisive judgment into a situation, cutting through to the very heart of the matter. Or in Thyatira, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like flames of fire. There's a burning holiness 
about the presence of the Lord of the church who can burn out of all our lives and out of all our churches the dross often through suffering that would actually hold us back and leave us in a place where the metal, the gold is pure, refined because it's been through the refiner's fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He will always be. He is. He has been. He remains forever the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, if I were to go through the things the Lord corrects in the church, just put one sentence to you, it's nearly always the same thing. Nearly always the same thing. It's heresy, false teaching, all these people, Jezebel, Nicolaitans and all of that, Balaam and all that, false teaching. False teaching destroys a church. You'd better believe it. And there are many churches in the Protestant tradition throughout this world at this moment in time who have fallen into serious false teaching, who no longer believe the essence of the creeds even, who just make it up as they go along. But the false teaching in these churches is nearly always accompanied by something else, false living, immoral living. And the two go together. And when the two get a run, they can destroy a church very quickly. And the thing, just, I, I could go on for hours. The thing I want to say to you is this. And maybe it's because these letters to the seven churches come out of a time of persecution. The risen Lord commends something in these churches over and over and over again that is not something that we very often preach on. He commends patient endurance, patient endurance, patient endurance, patient endurance. Now, in a, a suffering world where the church is under persecution, patient endurance... Goodness me, it's critically important. But actually, do you know something? I think it's always important. It's always important. And it's so easy in a consumerist world uh, to put the church into the consumerist box as well and to say, well, I'll go when I, it's pleasing me and when the music's what I want. People too often say to me, oh, that, so I heard someone say about here the music was too loud. I did. I, I couldn't tell you who it was, but re related to you. <laughs> the music was, was very, very loud. Very, they don't think they were complaining now. And, you know, I hear people saying, I want this kind of music, or I want that kind of music, or I want the other kind of music, or I want this kind of service, or I want that kind of music. I think stuff the whole lot of that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I think I'll keep going for a minute or two yet. <laughs> Do you know something? I, if I go to a church that is 
choral even song. I love it. I'll turn it on the radio. If I go to a church that is as charismatic as can be and where the music is as loud as can be, I just thank the Lord that, like Craig, I'm a wee bit deafer in one of my ears. (laughs) I don't get it. Do you know what it means? It actually means that you're missing the main thing. You're missing the main thing. You are here, planted in Craig Avon. What the Lord would want to say to you, you must determine. You are here. You've got an angel to help you with it. You are here, planted in Craig Avon at this particular time. You're not here by mistake. You're not in some hermetically sealed bubble. That means you don't relate into the society that is here, a society of a failed city. Yeah? Right? A society with large housing uh, estates, some Catholic, some Protestant, with sectarianism, with drugs problems, with unemployment problems, with, with young people growing up not knowing where their lives are going to go, with suicides. You know, you've got a hospital nearby. You've got a shopping center. It's the biggest in Northern Ireland, did I hear? Maybe. I think I did. You know, you should know. You should know. Right? I know you're getting a Marks and Spencer's and one of those. What do you call, do you call the new cafe, the new restaurant place? Three? Five guys. I've never been in. Is it good? Right? Right? You've got, you are here. You are the people of God, part of that multitude that no one can number, but placed here. Not the invisible church. That's what I want to call you. That's your subtitle. Not the invisible church. The church that will be visible in all its humanity, in all its failings, in all its issues and everything else, but through which Jesus Christ will also make himself visible in and through you and other believers too in this community of Craig Avon. And that's my prayer for you.